get set up. Mind starting with a word of prayer? Bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in which we get to be enriched by your word through this um, book of 1 Corinthians, just Paul's writings inspired by you and just uh, what you had to say then in the time of Corinth, but also, Lord, what you have to say today. It's surprising how not different 22, um, 2022 AD is from 55 AD. So thank you for this time together and allow us to be enriched by your word and your spirit. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I found my energy was better when I sat for this, so I might sit sometimes. But as we get started, how would you define someone as mature? What do you think? Besides, besides not me. Right. <laughs> Don't raise your hand and say, not me. But. Someone who's well-rounded enough to act appropriately in any situation that they're in. Okay. Well worded. Act appropriately at any situation that they're in. So the wisdom to know what the situation is right. and how to, what it means to act appropriately then. Right. Yes. Right. It's very different when you're at like the, watching the TV sitcom and the applause light comes on. It's appropriate then to applaud and, and uh, laugh and cheer. At a funeral, there's not quite the right time to maybe do that same, have the applause light go on. Right, so to act appropriately at the appropriate times. That might be some And applause light, there you yeah. go. <laughs> what else? Yay. <laughs> um, what else does it mean to be mature? Yeah. I, I, I think it's knowing when to not say something. Knowing when to not, not say anything. Not only knowing what to do at the appropriate times, knowing what not, not to do to and yeah. not to say. Yes, I, I'll agree with you there. Mm -hmm. Mature. What does it mean to be mature? Common sense. Common sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm that's sorry. A lot of, like, that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, it, it, I mean, it, it, it yeah. really, it's really something that comes with a lot of experience. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. because uh, there's, the context is everything. Mm -hmm. So, you yeah. know, something that, and, and uh, we've all, I'm, I'm sure we've all made mistakes, you know, where you do the wrong thing, but the next time you won't. So it comes with experience. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not, not just everything an attitude. It can't yeah. just be conveyed to you. Oh, it's do, all, do this. Yeah, it's not just an attitude. It's <laughs> yeah. also um, a bit of trial and error, life experience, right. factors of maturity, absolutely. Right. You meet people at different ages, and you could say that they're mature in some areas and not others. Correct. If you know what I mean there, yeah. Controlling, some, you know. the controlling your emotions. Sure, yeah. Self-management, self-discipline, those fruits of the Spirit. Yes. I'm with you there. Definitely what it means to be mature. And so far, in Corinthians, Paul has kind of talked about a bit of immaturity, right? Saying that I'm right and you're wrong. The wisdom of me is better than the wisdom of God. If God wants any advice, make sure he asks me. I can tell him what to do. There's a lack of maturity there, or a mm -hmm. lack of wisdom. And wisdom and maturity kind of go hand, hand in hand. And Paul so far has kind of said, hey, like, the maturity of man is, is pretty immature. And the wisdom of man is, is folly compared to the wisdom of God. As we get started, let's read. Uh, we're at First Corinthians, we're on chapter 2. We're going to try and do verses 6 through 16 so far. Can someone read? Uh, let's go with 6 and 7 for me. Uh, 2, 6, and 7? Yes, please. Uh, 
We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, mm -hmm. uh, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery mm -hmm. that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Great. Thank you very much. So as we start here, that opening, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. I said before, Paul's been bashing the wisdom of man, saying, hey, keep it simple. We've talked a lot about the uh, philosophy of that day being a big thing, the people who just want to pontificate and talk for the sake of hearing their own voice, for the ones that just want to have an argument for argument's sake. He's saying, hey, grow up a little bit, be mature. And as we get to this, verse 7, what was your verse 7? Did you have secret knowledge or... What, what did it say exactly there? Because there's a few different... We, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery. A mystery, yes. That has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Great. What translation is that, if I could ask? NIV. That's NIV? Yeah, NIV. I like that better. So the, wis the mystery, that God's wisdom is a mystery, is a much better, more <clears throat> accurate translation, even if you don't know, it doesn't unpack what it says. If you have like an ESV, it'll say over here, uh, do, 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 verse 7. Secret and hidden wisdom, right? It kind of loses that word mystery. So the word mystery over here, mysterion, which is right over here in the Greek, means secret knowledge. The way that that's actually unpacked a bit is uh, secret knowledge. It doesn't mean as much like, you know, you hear the clubs like the stonemasons. You don't know what's going on. It's a much more like a Costco membership. You know, once you have a membership to Costco, you're now let in. <laughs> and you know the mysteries of Costco, right? The great prices. But how restrictive is that, that Costco membership? And they <laughs> seat at the door. It's like, come on. It's, it's, it's not very, and it is, right? If you don't have a card, right, they have to scan the card at the checkout um, in order for you to shop there. It's like, oh, you don't have a card? Well, you don't get to participate in our great prices. But once you do have the card, then you can. It's not a huge mystery that's hidden. It's not like a stonemason thing where you got to... You know, you read made-up stories or Knights Templar where they're in the catacombs of France and, and underground. It's, you know, you, you can see the building. It's Costco. It's right over there. You get their ads in the mail. The knowledge is not all that secretive, yet it's almost exclusive and only makes sense to people that are Costco members. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul's talking about here. It's like the mysteries of God aren't necessarily so much more like hidden as they are very apparent, but don't make sense to people who don't quite know what they mean. So, to, and to get to that, there's two words over here, and you can kind of see them listed up here. We have, so I don't have the Greek word over here, but you could kind of read it, kirgama over here, and this is kind of what we call the herald's proclamation. So, in Greek teaching, and especially biblical teaching, there's kind of two key parts that go with this. You have the, the kirgama and the didache, which is over here, and the kirgama, this is all about, you know, the basic facts. We say Herald's Proclamation. If you ever imagine or seen a movie where they unroll the scroll and go, Hear ye, hear ye, by order of the king, everyone must send all their cows to the castle. The king has declared and closes it. It's like, all right, you got that. Basic fact, send your cows to the castle. That's it. And to not, to not downplay that, it's the most important part. All right, send your cows to the castle. You don't necessarily need to understand why. In the same sense, you think about biblical teaching and Christianity. If you don't have the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, nothing else matters. 
this is the basic fact. You need to know the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for you. The Kirgama, the basic fact. Or you could even count it as like the story of Jesus, right? You need to know the story to understand what the story means. And that's what Didache over here means. It's where we get the word didactic. And that means like teaching with a motivation in mind or, or a particular influence mm -hmm. that you want to share. What it means is you want to share understanding. <clears throat> here's the fact. Here's what it means. Or here's the fact. Here's how you understand it. So not only was that a Greek method of teaching, we see that a lot today. It's a very good method of teaching, right? You have the statement of your fact, and then the explanation and the understanding of it. So to take that, we have Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you over here. The second half is the apostles' teaching, right? All the letters that we have, you know, we're talking, you know, Corinthians, but also all Peter's letters, the rest of Paul's letters, John's letters, all these different letters, you know, Hebrews included. None of this stuff makes sense. If you don't have this first, right? If we're going through this and we don't have the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for you, there's not much of a sense in me explaining to you the understanding of it. And if you kind of ever get a sense where people say Christ was a good example and a good teacher, that means they want this, but they don't have this. And you'll notice kind of the more and more you go through not just this letter, but many others, all the didache, all the didactic teaching, none of it makes sense unless you got the first part. And I say that because when we have any sermon, any time, in worship, what's the one thing we always do? The, the Kirgama. You've got to know about Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you. Because without that, nothing else I'm going to say, A, doesn't make sense, or B, I, we don't even need to get to that yet. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here. For the mature Christian, there is wisdom. For the one who's got the Costco membership, for the one who's got the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, once you got that, you can get a lot of wisdom from there on in. Not just the teaching of the apostles, but we're talking about the teachings of Jesus too in the Gospels. Does that make sense? Because that's going to make a, that's a very important point for the beginning and opening of chapter 3. When he starts talking to the Corinthians about, oh, you know, you're, when I came to you, you think you're ready for solid food. This didactic teaching, I had to give you spiritual milk. You don't, if you can't get to this point, we can't really move on. You ever hear it in church? Jonathan will say it once in a long time. Once we got Jesus, then we'll move on. Right? Once you get the point of that, there's a reason why we keep coming back to it. And this is really important as we kind of unpack the rest of this section. So I kind of said secret knowledge already. Uh, let's pick it up there. 7 through 9. Oh, I like that. Foreordained. Can someone read 7 through 9 for me? Please take it. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, for if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what eye did not see and ear did not hear, and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. Thank you very much. One of the points that we made kind of before is we said the... the Gosh, it's in, it's in the second chapter where to human wisdom, God is foolishness. Yet in the reverse, in God's wisdom, all, all humans are foolish. In the sense that there's nothing I could have done advice-wise to God. Been like, hey, this is how you save and redeem all people across the world. Never would have crossed my mind to send his only son to die for us. Right? I couldn't have come up with a better system. I like this God decreed before the ages for our glory. And it decreed before the ages... Another word that's used there often, if you kind of see it, it's called foreordained. 
So we're talking, if you read this, you, you, you kind of have to consider it all the way back to Genesis. In that time of creation, it was foreordained, right? We talk about God being outside the concept of time. You know, nothing's a surprise to God. It doesn't have to happen chronologically for God to know what's going on, right? All wisdom, all power, or all glory. Having that, and you've heard it many times, right? And it's in the beginning of John chapter 1. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and we're talking about the Word being Jesus. God having the wisdom from the concept of all the way before creation, what it was going to take to redeem humanity. And that's great. And that's how long ago did God plan this? Verse 9? Oh, that's in verse 9. So, and again, what's huge here, huge in Corinthians, is Paul quotes Isaiah all the time. All the time, right? And again, there's, there's a couple different groups we talked about, the four different groups Paul talks to. We have the people who follow Apollos, which are like the Greek philosophers. There are those who follow Cephas, and that's the, the like Hellenized Jews, the, the Jewish Christians that are saying you got to be Jewish before you're Christian. So we have that group too. And he, when he hits all these notes, not only is it about fulfilling prophecy, he's also hitting notes to these people groups every time. And you can kind of see as you know who he's talking to, you go, oh, you know, the whole, the whole wisdom is following a man. But like, oh, yeah, he's talking to the, philo- the Greek philosophers there. I gotcha. Over here, you can see in these quotes from Isaiah, oh, he's talking to the Jews kind of at this point. Anything else I want to say about that? No, over here, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. What would, how would that sound? Oh, yeah, I skipped. No, I went too far back. No, that's where I want to go. No, that's the wrong chapter. There it is. I'm like, no, that's Isaiah 29. I'm like, I'm way off. Here it is. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. How would you unpack that? Based off everything we just said. What does that mean? There's no way to imagine. There's no way to imagine. Again, it's that same point Paul hits on all the time, right? There's no way anyone could have imagined. There's no way anyone could have heard about what God was going to do. Even in all the prophecy that you have in the Old Testament, no one could have fathomed, right? You you see Jesus opens um, the hearts and the minds of the apostles to understand his teaching. It's like no one could have comprehended is what he's saying. No one even daydreamed. Yeah, what was that? You can't use wisdom and pontification to come up with what God thought. Yes, yes. And we dispelled that a little bit last time too, right? Saying the natural knowledge of God isn't necessarily what we think it means, right? right? We're a witness to the power of God, not necessarily the person that God is. <clears throat> so it's like you can witness the, the power of God all the time, the way the mountains are shaped, the way that biology works, the way that children are born, but you don't know the person of God. You're only a witness to the works of God. Yeah. Anything else for that? What God has prepared for those, for those who love him. I love that. Isn't that just just interesting? You think about preparing things for those who love you. What, what would that be like? It's like maybe when my wife comes home, or maybe if I had dinner prepared. It's like, I did this because I loved you. But what does that generate in the same sense? Let's just Warm. take the dinner for an example. Warmth in the tummy. Well, <laughs> and love in the heart. Warmth in the tummy. <laughs> just, uh, is that because of the food? I, may, I better have not that's, made a cold salad or sushi. That's the way to the heart. Yeah. <laughs> a way to the heart, right? So we're talking about... When you prepare things for those you love, doesn't it just enrich your relationship? We talk about like love languages, if you ever do that with the Gary Chapman stuff. 
or, or Gary Thompson, no, Chapman. Chapman. Yeah, Chapman. And it's, you know, one of them is like giving gifts. And part of the thing about giving gifts is when someone gives you a gift, it's not just the item that I gave you. I'm giving you this tape, Paul, because I was thinking of you. <laughs> He's not so just, intimate. I know, right? <laughs> but it wouldn't be like I just grabbed tape off of that. Imagine now, it's, the thought is, oh, you thought of me when I wasn't around and you bought me this thing. That lets me know you're thinking of me even when you don't see me. Oh. Like, that's, that's what love feels like. What God has prepared for those who love him. That when you kind of grasp, and again, Paul talks about this a lot. What this whole chapter is about is the Holy Spirit helping us growing in an understanding of Christ. That didactic part, right? The didache part. How it takes God's Spirit to help us understand the things of God. And you can, once you start to understand some of those parts of God, diving deeper rather than just knowing the story, you go, oh, God thought of me at creation that he would give his son for my life so I could be with him. He's prepared that far in advance. And, you know, often we take that too corporately and not personally enough. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's for everybody. But it was, it was also for you. And he thought of you when it happened, not, you know, I'm just going to make this a blanket statement for everybody because that's kind of how it works for us today. Everything's a blanket statement, you know. All, all men between the ages of... 30 and, and 70 are grumpy if they have a beard or mustache. <laughs> I don't know. I, to, I, tried to, I tried to get three of us. <laughs> and it's like, you hear that and it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, well, may, maybe, maybe it's 95%. Okay. All right. Am I in the 95 or am I in the 5? I don't know. How grumpy am I? We make blanket statements all the time that just are baloney. And we don't take things personally enough, right? So take that proclamation of Christ's salvation for us personally, not just... It's good that it was for many people and not just me, but it was for just me at the same time. Uh, that's all I want to say about that. Let's move on. Uh, now we're getting to the stuff we're really going to start talking about. So again, Paul does this great. Well, Paul didn't give these, like titles and chapters. <laughs> let's, let's clarify that. Paul didn't write, this will be chapter two, and here will be my heading, the wisdom from the spirit. Um, that's not how it works. So people have gone in and they've taken scripture and broken it down into not just readable sections, but oftentimes subjects and subject lines. Some of these chapters are um, delineated by like a break in the letter. So it's like, here, here's the writing and papyrus and, and, and writing utensils, everything was expensive at that time. So it's like, I don't know, the space between this looks a little bit bigger. You know, they didn't have wide-lined ruled paper at that time, so we think there's a break here. So those were made by, by scribes, and people who have copied it time and time again. But you kind of see how the letter is going to start to really change gears as we get to this part. So I'm going to read 10 through 11 for us. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the spirit of God. So the things God has revealed to us through the spirit. What things is he talking about? The mysteries and wisdom, exactly. He's given you the Costco membership. Right? Here's your card. Okay, here's the story of Christ. Again, this is the facts and the knowledge. Right? That's the things. These are the things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, 
we're moving on. You can kind of see it. Uh, we kind of talked about that a lot already. Who knows a person's thoughts except for the spirit of that person? So we have that. The spirit of that person, you're the only one that knows what you're thinking, is kind of what Paul's saying. And that's a common sense part that we're talking about. It doesn't matter how well you may think you know me, I'm the only one that knows how I feel. I, an example I use, it's a sad one, I'm sorry, but like, let's say I have a dog and Dylan has a dog, and both our dogs die, and we're both sad. I can't look at Dylan and say, I know exactly how you feel, Dylan, because the same thing happened to me. As we can tell, that's not quite what empathy is. It's, okay, well, yeah, I've had a similar experience, but I don't know what his relationship with his dog was really like, because I'm not him. I don't know how it really felt. He, and the same thing goes for me. I, he doesn't know exactly how I feel. Maybe my relationship with my dog was just like, I had him for three years and I, I, I fed him and he was everybody else's problem and he didn't like me. You know, that would be very different than like if, you know, he comes home and his dog sits on his lap and they watch shows together and they, he always cooks him steak because he just loves his dog and it's like, you know, steak, mashed potatoes. <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he sleeps on the floor and the dog sleeps in the bed. It could be anything like that. Like, that's a very, that's a very, <laughs> and that's, it's a joke, but almost not a joke sometimes, right? Um, it's a very different, we've had very different relationships with our dogs, even though the same things happen to us, right? I don't know exactly how you feel. Only you know how you feel. And in the, in the same sense where that, that seems depressing, only you, do, you know how you feel in a human sense. God knows how you feel because of the indwelling of the Spirit. And, and Paul talks about that in just a moment. God understands and goes through exactly what you're feeling with you. So you always have that comfort. It's kind of one of my my favorite parts of Ecclesiastes, where, where Solomon's just kind of like, everything's foolish, everything is like vapor in the wind, meaning no one, no one really understands, except for God. Except Solomon says it more like, no one ever really understands, so you might as well worship God. I, I could take the tape back, oh. sorry. You don't have to, it's not a really <laughs> a gift. It's my, wife's, it's my wife's tape. I wasn't thinking of you <laughs> when I saw that tape today. Yeah, I was thinking Samantha might say something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I gave that to Paul. But he needed his love language was gifts. I had to do it. <laughs> go, I'm going to mop someone's floor today. They need to feel loved. <laughs> but you now you get that concept of it. He's saying the spirit of a man is the only the only part of that man that can truly understand what that man's going through. Is what he says. So how can we possibly comprehend God? It's one of those implied questions. You know, if a man is the one that understands what he's going through, how can you understand what another man's going through? Well, I can't, unless I guess that man's spirit's within me, and I, I gain an understanding. Ah. So how could one possibly comprehend God? All right, Jesus Christ says, you know, I'm, to grow you, I, I, John, something, something, sorry, bad quote. But when, when Jesus says, like, I will send you an advocate, I will send you a helper, and that is the Holy Spirit. I will send them to you so you can understand that I'm in my Father and my Father is in me. So you can comprehend the thing, the word, the, what he actually says. So you can comprehend the things of God. It's like, you think Paul's actually, it's funny, you read this, like, this is not new. Jesus already talked about this in the gospel. I will send you an advocate. I will send you someone to help you understand. And he will dwell in you, right? And, and, and it tell, he calls it the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will dwell, spirit of truth, spirit of truth will dwell in you. Jesus says this, and Paul's just kind of reiterating it here, right? If we continue, uh, we'll, com we'll combine those ideas in a second. If we combine these right over here, and this is uh, 12 through 13, let me make sure I read it. I'll read it this time. 
Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Ah, the spirit is from God. Jesus already said that was coming. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this wisdom not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths by those who are spiritual. So, was this... Oh, natural person's next. We'll talk about that in a second. So, let's contrast this to to verse 8. Same chapter. And then verse 13. Can can someone read verse 8 out loud again for me? None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, over here, we impart in... This wisdom not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. How do you combine those two verses? What's Paul saying with both of them combined? The Spirit was not in the rulers of the age. And they didn't have the knowledge that they needed to have. Would you crucify God if you knew that was God? No. But if you really knew it was if you knew it was God in this one, the, the, the Didache, the understanding, not someone just saying that they're God, right? A fact. Right? There's the fact in the story, right? And we, we, we kind of did this last time with all the false messiahs at the time. You know, the one in 45 AD, the one in 50, uh, 50 AD, the one in 54 AD, the ones that like led big hordes of people to the rivers in Jerusalem and said, I will part this river and we'll walk across dry. And the river didn't part. And then the Egyptian that came and stood outside the walls of Jerusalem and said, at my word, all the walls are going to come crumbling down in Jerusalem. And it didn't happen and 30,000 people just got arrested and tried most of them executed. It's like, oh, okay. These were the messiahs that, that, that people wanted. Like, the signs that they were going to follow. They were stating, I'm going to be your savior, and they were not. So sometimes it's not all just about a statement. It's about the understanding of that statement. And that's what Paul's talking about for the mature Christian again here. These people, right? You know, you hear Pilate saying, Who are you, king of the Jews? Shall I crucify your king? Is that Paul's... I'm mean, not Paul, sorry. Pontius Pilate, he's... Stating something, a kirgama, right? A fact, but there's no dedicate there. There's no understanding of it exactly, right? If the rulers of this age really believed that that was your king, would they have crucified him? No, because even though they said words, it was all man-made, man-designed wisdom, and obviously the spirit wasn't within them, right? They did not have the right proclamation. Is what he's getting to there. Very good. Let's go to John chapter thirteen. I didn't do that. I'm going to go over here. And we're going to do verses 1 through 11. Someone can, someone gets there before I do, if you could start reading it. It was just before the Passover, Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, now he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot uh, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had, uh, had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. 
Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was go who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Thank you, Gina. I, lo I love this section. It's one of my favorite. I say this all the time. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible because I guess every part's my favorite, right? <laughs> um, but, but this story, I just... Peter's such a dummy sometimes. And I, I, I say that because I, that mirrors me very often. We're like, you just don't get it. And I'm like, I've been that guy more times than I needed to be. And Peter's just, at this moment, he just doesn't get it. How, how is he operating? In that wisdom of the world that we're mm -hmm. saying. We, we don't have, well, eventually we talk about we don't have a spirit of the world or wisdom of the world. We have a spirit of God. But we haven't had that, that gifting of the Holy Spirit yet here. So you kind of get the before image. You get the before. It's like, well, if he just declared not long ago, I think it's chapter 11, um, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? He says, um, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he says, you, Peter, I will name you Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, right? It becomes a big thing. And Peter has, always, always flubs it up right afterwards, right? And this is one of those moments where it's like, the wisdom of the world says, if you are truly a king, like, don't wash my feet. My feet are disgusting. And he says, well, if you won't let me wash your feet, then I have no part with you. Then give me a, a, a full body wash. That's <laughs> not what I mean, Peter. <laughs> we have that, that wisdom of the world. And then what, is, what does Jesus even tell him here? Yeah, their body's clean. Yeah, well, even before that. Oh. You did not understand. That's it. You don't understand now. But later you will. Peter's got the Kergama over here. Jesus is my Messiah and Savior. He's proclaimed it with all his faith, even though he messes up. Later on, he's declared it, but he doesn't have an understanding of it yet. Yep. He hasn't grown in any of it yet. You don't understand, is what he says. But later you will. But later you will. Mm -hmm. Right? When we're talking about maturity before, we have to we grow into maturity. Right? Mm -hmm. a, you know, a baby's not born that's, you know already got you know their stocks lined up for retirement and their their life under control and how they're going to save to buy a house that's not how they're born even as human beings we mature in many ways you know through physically mentally emotionally spiritually he's talking about a spiritual maturity here you don't understand now but later you will so i love that any any questions on that almost done with this usually we're i'm Scrambling for time at the end. This is great. Mm. <clears throat> well, it's it's like the uh, when he says, you know, you'll understand. You know, later you'll understand, and that seems to go hand in hand with the Holy Spirit being uh, coming on them. Yes, and yes. That's uh, where the understanding comes. Sure. Yes. It's it's not experience. It's not. Saying that you, says, you grow when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you gain that understanding maturity. Well, I, I agree I agree with you, but also in a sense to make it clear, even with the Holy Spirit, you grow in maturity, right? Oh, right. What's, what saves you in this? The understanding of Christ or what Christ actually, the fact of what Christ did for what you? The fact of what Christ did for you is what saves us. That's what justifies us. 
We grow in the understanding of that, you know, um, and that's sanctification. Yep, that's how we become more like Christ. That's another way to explain it. Don't think if you, you don't have a doctorate in, in theology in the life of Jesus that you're not saved. Maybe your understanding is deeper, and, you're, and it's, it's interesting. As you grow in your understanding, you're actually held to a, a stricter standard. Not, not like, you know, different rules, but you're called to teach, right? And teachers are called to be diligent in their teaching. As we, we go, you go through all of 1 and 2 Timothy with that. You know, like, there, there's a greater demand for those who have this understanding to share that understanding with each other. And, and honestly, but you're richer for it at the same time. So, but it's, it's the understanding that you could share with others that go, oh, that's what Christ did for me. So again... That justification and understanding piece. But you can have, the Holy Spirit comes here that grabs hold of the promises of God and then Jesus says, now that it's grabbed hold, come with me. Follow me. Right? As, as Christ tells us over here. Right? So call the following there. I think we're almost at the end. Oh, the natural person. This is what we got to talk about. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God wrap this up, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that's what we're getting to over here, right? The natural person does not accept the things of God, right? Sukios, that's the word over here for natural, like you think of psychosis or psycho, right? It's, and and that, what that means, like, when, when you get to those words, what they really mean it is like the bare bones instincts of a person. You, they, call, they talk like animal-like instincts, how you're born and how you'll naturally react, right? So when it, when it says, you know, psychosis or psycho, it's more of a reason is gone and what's left is your instincts is what this word really gets to. And the spiritual person he talks about, right? The word spiritual is pneuma over here, which also means breath. And breath, uh, if you read the Septuagint, that's the, the scripture all in, in ancient Greek. You go back to Genesis. When it says God breathed into Adam, it's God gave his pneuma. God gave his breath to Adam to create life. So it's the spirit of God that goes into Adam that starts humanity. So you have those two terms over there. The natural person, for the one that is natural, what are we naturally? Sinful. Sinful, exactly. I love what Aaron says, vipers and diapers, right? We're naturally born into sin. And we naturally don't have this conceptual understanding. And by human wisdom, we can't achieve what an understanding of who God, the person of God is. This over here. You can hear the story, but to understand who God is will help you understand why he did what he did for us. That, that doesn't come from the natural mind. Paul's saying this comes from the spiritual person. This isn't like the person with like a dozen crystals and doesn't shower kind of thing. This is a spiritual person being a person who has the spirit of God. The one who has the breath of God in them. That like when uh, Mary came to see her uh, Elizabeth and mm-hmm. the baby inside of uh, had the spirit of God. Right? Had, had the right. spirit of God. Yep, right. left so, in the womb. Exactly. Right. Yep. Right. So. This also yes. goes back to your previous statement on people with uh, doctors and theology or things like 
Yeah. I've listened to many people that have doctorates in theology that <laughs> do not have the spirit of wisdom in them. Yep. Because they have no idea. It's going be called ivory tower mm-hmm. syndrome is what we call that. Yeah. That now my understanding is so far out of reach that I place myself on an ivory tower. And if you can't pontificate at my level, you, you must not be, what, saved? I don't know. But I don't know, but <laughs> you, a simple fool like I, me can just I, take apart their <laughs> argument from this book right here. Yep. I may be on my ivory I must have my own tower in heaven that's above yours if I somehow know more. It's not that. You kind of see it in John, in John where, where we just went with the, the washing of the feet. Right. It's like Jesus says, the greater you grow in wisdom and knowledge, the more you're called to serve, and the lower you're called to serve, mm-hmm. even at that point, to the point of washing feet. You know, it's not what a king does, but this is how a king should be. Absolutely, yes. And that makes sense to the Panema, the spiritual person of God. Not not the natural one, huh? Person with pneumonia. Person with pneumonia, yes. I know. <laughs> so it's, it's funny, the, what is it, the etymology of that word, or is it entomology? One of them is a study of bugs, the other one's a study of words. Entomology and the, is a study of bugs. Okay, so <laughs> etymology then. I've messed that up once, and I'm like, hold on. <laughs> this isn't about bugs, this is about words. <laughs> right? When you break down this word, I didn't have a good breakdown for this word except for the transition of breath. But it's, isn't it amazing also how much of our English language is built off of these Greek words. And I, I love to see that because it helps me enrich what we're seeing. Not that I have to, you know, yet if you don't read the whole Bible in Greek, you don't know God's word. It's more of a, mm-hmm. it gives you a new layer of depth, you know. It, yeah. Greek is a very descriptive language. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of words that they have for one word that's in English. Yep, absolutely. Meanings and different foundations behind it. Everyone hears the explanation of the word love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have one word, they have four. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what do, do I love pizza and I love my wife? Is that the same thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, it better not be. Better not be. <laughs> better not be. I love my wife a lot more, but pizza is very good. <laughs> but I also don't love my wife the same way I love my, my, my sisters, right? It's not the same. One of them's like an Eros, agape-style love. The other one is what we call sterge. That's family, familial kind of love over here, right? They're very different. But, you know, because my sisters and I don't get along, but we love each other, right? And my wife and I, get, we get along and have children together. I shouldn't love my wife the same way I love my sisters. They should be on different ends of the spectrum. But when we only have one word, could you imagine just like for a moment, like a Greek philosopher coming in and just knowing English? Do you think they would just say like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. Huh? They might have a mild panic attack. A mild panic attack, yes. And go into some form of psychosis. What do you do with pizza? So, for he who has understood, this is the very last part, for he who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. Uh, that, that, so that's a negative statement, right? What, what was that saying? For who has the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? An implied question, one of Paul's favorite ways to teach, right? An implied question. The implied answer here is... Huh? Did he ask for advice when he created the world? No, he didn't. Right? So no one. The no one. That question can be found in Job chapter 35. God responds to Job. Yes. Who are you to question me? Who are you to question me? Exactly. I will ask you, and now you answer. Yeah. That's all I have. That's all I have. Because it gets to that last point. For we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Spirit's been given to you. And Paul explains that so you can understand the things that have been given to you by God. 
right? It's a, it's like if I was not an engineer and someone gave me a box of engineering tools and like drawing paper, I'd go, what are these? You've given them to me, but I don't know what to do with them. But then if the spirit comes upon me, meaning growing and maturing in Christ, if I go to school for four years to become an engineer, now I've been given the tools to be an engineer. I get it now. Paul's saying, you've been given the tools to understand the things that have been given to you. So now you can kind of break that down and start to understand Christ. And part of the way I believe, in my opinion, the best way to understand also what the Spirit is teaching you is to look back at the history of what the church has taught mm-hmm. through the church fathers from the first century up to what we have now. Mm-hmm. Did they teach all of these things that we're teaching now still? Mm-hmm. Or was, did they teach something different? So there's, there's two good points, and we'll close with this. Two good points to what you're saying. One of which being, um, you know, it's one of our Lutheran principles that Scripture interprets Scripture. Right. So if you can't test it against other... You have this idea about all men with beards and mustaches between ages 30 and 70 that they're all ungodly, and it's because you read one verse about beards somewhere in the Bible. You better try and find another one because your idea is probably wrong. <laughs> on what you're saying. But but secondly, you know, scripture interprets scripture. Secondly, the closer I we tend to look at the past and people of the past and think everyone's an idiot. Right? Because tragic things have happened mm-hmm. and, and like cultural practices have changed. So we must think that we're smarter than everybody else from mm-hmm. fifty years ago, hundred years right. ago. And that that's incorrect. Right. We yeah. have maybe we've gotten a little head we've you know, standing at like we said heard in the sermon, standing on the shoulders of those who come before you. Sometimes we could stand a little higher because of what's been done for us in the past doesn't mean we're any more intelligent or smarter. So to go to what you're saying, the closer you kind of get to the origin of event of an event, right. the, the more like I feel like you can rely on some of the practices from them. For example, right. what was the early church like right after Jesus was here? It's like, okay, for some reason, you know, infant baptism is always one of those questions. Like, did you know they baptized infants and no one said a peep about it until 1500 A.D.? It's like, oh, now it's a problem. Okay, well, why did the church practice it this way for 1,500 years then? Well, Well, I don't know. You have Paul himself baptizing the whole household. Oh, yes. Well, who's in the household? Obviously the children, too. Well, so so as many arguments as we can come up with from Scripture, and I'm with you on that, there's many many pros that you can find in here. Part of it is looking back to the early church fathers. Well, what did they practice in proximity to when Jesus was there? Right. You know, what happened, you know, if Jesus died 34 A.D., what was the church like at 40 A.D.? What did they do? You know, you read some of the writings of not just Paul, but then you get a little bit further down and you go to like Polycarp and such like that, who was only, you know, 60, 70 years outside of Christ. He was also a friend and a pupil of John. He was, yes. So, like, what was happening in the church then? How did the church practice? The reason they had those church practices often weren't, what do we think the best idea is, and let's pontificate for a while and see what we should do. No, they followed the example of Christ, and they're like, yeah, let's just, let's just keep it going. <laughs> and some of that kind of gets lost with time, it, as uh, we think we become smarter. <laughs> something I've noticed mm-hmm. is that when Satan plays with people's minds on their wisdom and thoughts of that, mm-hmm. his playbook has been the same since the first century. Oh, yeah. The same arguments that mm-hmm. Paul is discussing here are the same ones that I see today mm-hmm. different things. Yes. The latest one I saw, I just talked with my mom about it the other day, was someone is arguing the fact that Paul did not actually write the pastoral epistles of First, Second Timothy, and Titus. Yeah. But in the writings of Saint Ignatius and Polycarp and Clement of Rome, mm-hmm. 
they each reference Paul's pastoral epistles in their own mm -hmm. writings. Mm -hmm. And they're within a few decades of his life and when these letters were written. So how is it possible <laughs> that these things, Paul didn't do this, they were written 400 years later when people write about them before they were written. Forensic science. Yeah. And this <laughs> DNA sample. This is what yeah. I heard from a doctorate of theology. Yep. Mm -hmm. it, sometimes it, uh, Satan's been a liar in the beginning, he's still a liar mm -hmm. today. Yeah. He's been a deceiver in the beginning, a deceiver Once today. Once a liar, always a liar. <laughs> yes. right. Satan, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. are redeemed. Yeah. People are redeemed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's close in prayer and we can wrap up conversation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We th again, thank you for this letter, which can be so culturally relevant, as Paul's kind of wrapping up the opening of this letter with, divinity, uh, with division within the church, addressing that, addressing the, the repairing of not just what it means to be wise in the world, but what it means to be wise within Christ and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for laying out some of these bases, especially how this letter just becomes so so intense in some of these later chapters with some of the moral issues and failings within their church that we can even see today. So thank you for this. Thank you for the preparation. And thank you always for giving us your spirit and the mind of Christ. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.